morning and happy Sabbath, everyone. It's good to see you all here. I have been away a little bit. Um, I don't come here very often, but I consider this my home church. Um, I'm one of the youth directors in Victoria and pretty much most Sabbaths we're called to go to different places. And I think this is my last Sabbath here for the next eight weeks because after this, I'm doing Pathfinder investitures, so we have to dress up in the gear and do all that kind of thing and travel around. Um, So that should be a blessing, but um, yeah, I guess I'll see you in December. (laughs) Um, This morning's message is entitled Lessons from a Skate Sesh, but before we do that, I'd just like to invite you all to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the Sabbath. We want to thank you for the blessing it is to be able to come together in this place, and I pray that your Holy Spirit may be present and that you can change us so we can change the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Who here loves summer? A few hands go up. What about winter? (laughs) Anyone for both? Oh, there's a few people, yeah. So I'm one of those people, I don't really prefer summer or winter. I like going to the beach in summer. I like going to the snow in winter. So both seasons I'm, I'm, I'm fond of. Um, and last year it was, a, was one of those balmy evenings on a summer afternoon where the temperature was just right so you could wear a t-shirt and shorts and feel comfortable and there was no wind. It was just perfect. In fact, it was the perfect kind of weather to go longboarding. Who here goes longboarding? <laughs> oh, Karina, yes. So I'm no professional longboarder but I do enjoy carving down gentle slopes and it was a perfect summer afternoon and I actually have a skating crew, some people that I go skating with. And so I called them up and I said, do you guys want to come skating? And everyone was busy, but the weather was so good. And I just said, no, I have to, I have to go skating. And so I went skating and this is my longboard. So this is what's called a, um, it's a loaded flex two longboard. And when I bought this a few years back, it was one of the best boards on the market. But it was so good, in fact, that it was way beyond my skill set. I just wanted to just look at this. Like, look how it just spins a lot. And so when you imagine that on the ground, it just goes really fast. And so generally, I'll put this down. Generally, when I would go skating with my skating crew, their boards aren't as good as this board and nor can I ride this board because it's way beyond my skill set. So we would swap boards and they'd give me their, you know, Kmart boards or something and I'd give them this and they'd love it and I'd love their board. But because no one was there to swap with on the day, I said, oh, look, um, I mean, I could use my board or I could use my sister's board. And Hannah, my sister, also has a long board. Um, Hers... It's, it's still pretty good, but it's not as good as this one. So I said, I'll try and be a bit safer and use her board. So I took her board and I went off. And the place where I would normally go skating is um, an area. It's a construction area. So there's not much traffic. The roads are nice, nice-ish. Um, and there's not many people around. So it's just, it's an ideal location where that's what we kind of decided as a crew. We're like, this is the area we're going to keep going to. Um, so I decided I was by myself and I decided I was going to go, did some laps on the flat ground before I decided I was going to start going down one of the slopes. And so I went on my, I went on my sister's board and I started going down the slopes and I don't know if you've been longboarding for, but it's bliss. Like you just going there, the wind's going through your hair, things are flying past you and it's, it's just a lot of fun. You kind of you just get lost in the moment. Like it's a, it's a lot of fun up until the point 
where I noticed my board started wobbling and I was kind of going down. I'm like, this isn't really good because I was going quite fast and I didn't really know how to stop. <laughs> and I kind of was going, I took a few steps because of the moment, like, Rose, what happened? And I explained to her what had happened and um, she could kind of see the the stuff through my band-aids and she's like they look really dirty you're gonna have to get them cleaned and I said I did clean them in water she's like no 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 no. come over we're gonna have to clean them properly and luckily for me this particular friend she was a nurse her mum was a nurse and her because in the medical supplies they have the um they have the oh she brought out some you know these special medical band-aids and like the hydrogen peroxide and the alcohol and she's just it was just not fun um, so yeah, and then they, they cleaned it properly, but, um, the next day I went home, they just said monitor it, Rose, because if it's not clean, it can get infected and it can spread everywhere. Um, so the next day I was kind of looking at them and they still looked not the best. So I decided to go to the doctor and the doctor's like, ouch, like, what did you do? And I was like, I'm skateboarding. He's like, yeah, wow. This is why I don't skateboard. <laughs> um, and so he, he kind of looked at them and he's like, you're going to have to get them cleaned properly, which means they had to take off like even more skin. So I'm there at the doctor's just being like, why did I go by myself? And yeah, all these questions are going through my mind. Um, but, you know, I actually learned so many lessons through this experience. So many lessons, in fact, that I feel like I could preach a whole series on spiritual lessons from skateboards. But here are just a few of the lessons I learned. The first lesson I learned was that avoidance doesn't work. You see, even though I had these things which were causing me harm, I tried to pretend that they weren't there. I tried to cover them up and just ignore them. But that was probably the worst thing I could do because if I had not addressed them properly, the gravel that was embedded in my skin would have got infected and then just caused all these other problems that I wouldn't want. So I learnt that avoidance doesn't work and avoidance would have ensured long-term suffering. The second lesson that I learnt was to get help because although I tried to fix the wounds myself, it became evident that I lacked the expertise and that I lacked just the the hydrogen peroxide and the alcohol and everything else I needed to fix these things myself. Um, so I learned that sometimes we can't help ourselves and that it's okay to ask for others to ask others for help. And the third thing I learned was patience. Having all these different wounds all over me caused me to do things differently for the next couple of weeks. Um, through the healing process, I wasn't able to get them wet. Um, and driving was also quite difficult. Um, and it was actually just, to be honest, just an inconvenience. Like, it was an incredible inconvenience. I just wanted them to hurry up and just heal so I could get along doing the things that I would do on a daily basis. Um, my, wound, my wounds required time to heal, and, and healing required patience. And this is what we're going to be exploring today. We're going to be exploring patience. Does anyone here like waiting? <laughs> I just waited a bit just to see. <laughs> no one likes waiting. Um, and when I visited the doctor because of my injuries, I had to go to, to the doctor several times and they have a particular room at the doctor. Does anyone know what this room's called? It's called a waiting room. And in the waiting room, you wait and you catch up on the latest news from New Idea in 2005 or 
Women's Day from 2008. All the latest news there. In the waiting room, you wait. Or what about delays when you're driving? Trying to get to work on time, and so is everyone else. And you just bottleneck into the traffic during rush hour, and then you have to wait. Or when there's delays because there's unexpected roadworks. When we were in Norway a couple of weeks ago, there's lots of tunnels that go through mountains in Norway. And um, I had checked this hike that we were going to do, and it said it was 15 minutes from where we had camped. And so we're like, okay, we can kind of wake up a little bit later. Um, so we we got up, and it was a little kind of mid-morning, and um, we left because it was, it was a short distance. But we got to the start of this tunnel, and there was just a few cars there piled up. And we're like, what's going on? They're like, oh, they're doing construction in the tunnel. You're going to have to wait. And we're like, oh, how long are we going to have to wait for? Oh, 30 minutes. So we're like, okay, like we can't do anything. We ended up waiting an hour, <laughs> like an hour. For, so our 15-minute trip ended up taking an hour and 15 minutes. And look, it was an inconvenience, but it wasn't fun. And I think waiting something that not many people put their hand up and say, hey, that's something I really, really enjoy doing. Um, and I think that um, I discovered something interesting as I researched what the Bible says about this topic of waiting. It seems as though God enjoys waiting. If you look at Lamentations 3, verses 26, 26, 25 to 26, the Bible says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good for one it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. If you're waiting for the Messiah, you're going to have to wait 4,000 years. What about Psalms 27 verse 14? Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This is a command to wait. It's not a suggestion to wait. Perhaps you should wait. It would be a good idea to wait. But it says wait on the Lord. And I think some of us are challenged with waiting. You're waiting. Perhaps some of you are waiting for your studies to finish. Or perhaps some of you are waiting for that right job opportunity to present itself. Or some people here are perhaps waiting for clarity on the future. What's going to happen next? Which direction should I take? Or perhaps some of you are waiting for that right person. Had a few false starts here and there. We're just waiting. When, Lord? When? We keep waiting and waiting. And as we go through the Bible, we find that God does ask us to wait. In fact, there are many stories in the Bible that that are surrounded by this theme of waiting. The reason why we wait is because God has given us a promise. We wait because God has something better in store for us. Abraham was someone who waited patiently. God gave him a promise when he was 75 years old. Just get that in your mind for a moment. Abraham was 75 years old. This might be the age of some of your parents or perhaps even some of your grandparents. He's 75 years old and God gives him this promise. And what promise does he give him? I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis 12, verses 12, I think I've got it up here. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Feel free to read it in your Bibles or, or on the screen. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. 
Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's 75 years old and God gives him this promise that he's going to be the father of many nations. But imagine what he's going through his mind. He's 75. He's like, I'm 75. My wife is 65. How is this going to happen? One year passed. Still no sign. Two years passes. Five years. Ten years. Still no sign of this promise that God gave to him. As time went on, there was still no sign, still no children. And so how does he respond to God? In verses 3 and 4 of the same chapter. Oh, wait, no, not the same chapter. In chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, we find what he proposes. Sorry, not chap- not 2 and 3, <laughs> verses 2 and 3. Chapter 15, Genesis 15, verses 2 and 3, we find what he proposes. But Abraham said, to, said Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. You see, he's a little bit frustrated here because he's seen no sign of this promise that God gave him, that he proposes to make his trusty servant Eliezer the inheritor of this promise. He's like, maybe perhaps I can get Eliezer to be the one that will be the, the, the one that through this promise will be fulfilled. But was that what God had in mind? Was that what he had in mind? Let's read how God responds to him in verses four and five. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look toward, now look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So shall your descendants be. Have you ever become frustrated with waiting before? God's promised you something and you haven't seen any evidence of that promise coming to fruition. This was Abraham's experience. He doubts. Perhaps he even asks himself, has he been wrong to trust God this whole time? And although Abraham becomes um, impatient, God remains patient with him. And there's this dialogue between them. And he assures Abraham that a child of his own was to be his heir. And can you imagine him continually wrestling? Really? Is it really going to happen? Because we've waited so long. And then he takes him outside and says, but just look at the stars. Count them if you can. So will your descendants be. And imagine as he looked up at the sky that his, his offspring would be numerous like counting stars. Has anyone ever tried to count stars before? I have. It's pretty easy in Melbourne. There's like two. And generally one of them is a planet, so it's not really a star. 
But I'm sure all of us have tried counting stars, but when you go out somewhere where there's no light pollution, in outback Australia or in wherever you wherever you might be, sometimes you see incredible you see incredible things. I was in Jindabyne earlier this year and it was a really clear night. And we went uh, me and a few friends went out and um you can't really see it there, but the sky was amazing. Like you could see the Milky Way and the Great Rift, which is that dark patch in the Milky Way. You could see that with, with your, your naked eye. And um, yeah, it was just beautiful. And like just trying to count the stars, I think, in something like that, like it would be, it's just impossible. And so this is how sometimes we imagine Abraham responding to God or God taking him out and him seeing just like a, a, a sky splattered in stars. And we think that God answers Abraham's frustration in a nice, neat, visual package. But there's more to it. There's something I want you to notice here. So we're still in chapter 15. But I want you to have a look at verse 12. Genesis 15, verse 12. Now the first part of verse 12 says, Now when the sun was going down... Isn't it supposed to be dark already? So how come it says, now when the sun is going down? Let's look at verse 17, Genesis 15, verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, etc., etc. Now it says the sun was down and it was dark. So verse 12, we have when the sun was going down, it was sun setting. And now we have in verse 17 that it was dark. You think, hold on, isn't it supposed to already be dark if he took him out to see the stars? Like, what's going on there? These are not different days. In fact, in the Hebrew, this is a continuous narrative. And many of us have assumed that it was nighttime when God took Abraham out to look at the night sky. But as we read further, we find that this is, in fact, the wrong assumption. In fact, it was daytime. But why does God bring Abraham out during the daytime to try and count the stars? If he had brought him out during nighttime to look at the stars, the answer would have been right in front of his eyes. And let me tell you, that still would have been pretty mind-blowing. But what about during the daytime? Have you ever tried to count the stars during daytime? I don't think it's something any of us would really do or even try. You can't see the stars. However, even though you can't see them, you know that they're there. They're just hidden from our sight until the sun sets. And God is teaching Abraham a valuable lesson here. He's teaching him to trust that even though he can't see his children, Yet, just as he cannot see any stars yet, his descendants will come just as the stars will eventually come and fill the night sky. Isn't that a beautiful response to Abraham's frustrations? God calls him back to a position of trust that isn't based on sight, but is based on faith. He calls him back to a position of trust that isn't based on sight, but is based on faith. God is gentle with the sometimes complaining and impatient Abraham. And in the same way, he is also gentle with us when we lose our hope and trust 
in moments of weakness and darkness. We have a loving father who always provides for us. And even when you cannot see the stars, trust that they are coming. Abraham is waiting and he waited. And Hebrews 11 records what Abraham was waiting for. He waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was able to wait because God reminded him of where he should focus. He needed to have his eyes focused on the future and not on his present circumstance. When we have the promise of something better, why would we, why would we exchange it for anything less? There was this marshmallow experiment which you might have heard of in the 1960s. It was done at Stanford University. They had a whole lot of four-year-old kids and um, there was just a room with a table, a chair, a plate and a marshmallow on the plate. And the researcher said to the kid, you can, I'm gonna, you can, there's this plate with a marshmallow on it and you can eat that marshmallow now if you like, but I'm going to leave the room. And if, if I leave the room and when I come back and you've eaten it, you won't get another marshmallow. But if you haven't eaten the marshmallow, when I come back, you'll get another marshmallow. And so you see, it was pretty simple. It was have one marshmallow now or perhaps two marshmallows later, but you're going to have to wait a period of time. It was, it was testing instant gratification, the natural human urge to want good things and to want them now. It's the tendency we have as human beings to seek pleasure and avoid pain. Last year, I attended one of my friend's weddings and we hadn't eaten all day and we were pretty hungry. And I think Nida can remember this wedding quite well. We were all pretty hungry. And um, there, was a, there was a time lapse between the, the wedding reception and the wedding um, ceremony and the wedding reception. And so we're kind of like, you know, what are we supposed to do? We're we just going to hang around here. Um, and we were in a big group and the whole group was pretty hungry. And so as we're driving to this reception venue, we see some golden arches in the distance and as we get closer those golden arches are getting bigger and bigger before you know it my friends have turned into those golden arches and they're like what are we doing and I'm not someone that generally eats at the place with the golden arches but we were very very hungry and before you knew it we were eating at McDonald's <laughs> it's not something I am proud of to this day but we were really hungry and so we kind of yeah we're just eating and we were like okay like we're not hungry anymore um and then we went off to the wedding the wedding uh, reception after. But this was also a Samoan wedding. And if you have been to a Samoan wedding before, they love their food and they had a lot of good food. But all of us were kind of like, well, we're filled up with Maccas. There's not really, I think you were there as well, Shane. <laughs> There's not really room to, to eat, um, to eat some, some good Samoan food anymore. So yeah, you know, we went and we just decided, oh, we should have waited. We should have waited. We should have waited. We live in the microwave generation. In my mother's generation, she'd be quite happy to, you know, spend a couple of hours preparing a nice meal, cooking some noodles, whereas we don't have that time anymore. We want things now. So we have instant noodles. We have two-minute noodles. We have migoreng, things that take minimal time because we want them now. We don't have time to wait. And what I discovered as I reflected on this I realize is that when you're anticipating something and it's taking too long, it's because your focus is too narrow. 
When you're anticipating something and it's taking too long, it's because your focus is too narrow. You're focused on your present circumstance, everything you don't have. You're focused on your loneliness, your underwhelming career, your lack of opportunity, everything that you currently don't have. And yet God is saying, I have something better in mind. That thing that you're trying to get in your own strength, that's not what I had in mind for you. I have something better if you're willing to wait. But more often than not, waiting is a painful experience. The root word of patience in Latin is pati, which actually means to suffer. And this is why patience is interchangeable with the word long-suffering, because while you're waiting, you're actually suffering. And there is no shortcut to patience, therefore there is no way to avoid suffering. It's not pleasant, but it is necessary. Because while you wait, God is working. He has a reason why he makes the waiting experience uncomfortable, long as he possibly could. He waited so long because he wanted to do something for them that they couldn't do in their own strength. He wanted to perform a miracle for them. You see, at their ages, it was impossible for them to have a child. And sometimes in our haste to get things now, we rush into things, not realizing that in our haste, we are taking away God's miracle for our lives. Think of the story of Lazarus for a moment. Jesus deliberately waits four days before he goes to see Lazarus. Why did he wait four days? Because according to the customs of the time, if a person was less if a person was dead for less than four days, they could be in an extended coma. They weren't really dead, but four days signified that they were definitely dead and there was no possibility for them to come back to life. And it was only when Lazarus's, when Lazarus' situation was impossible that God could work his miracle. It was only when his situation was impossible that God could work his miracle. And in the same way, sometimes he waits for our situations to get so impossible and get to a point where it is impossible for us to work out in our own strength. And when we get to that point, that's when he comes in and he works a miracle in our lives. God does his best when we are at our worst. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. He makes a path in the wilderness. He makes rivers in the desert. And he has a thousand ways to provide of which we know nothing. He's the reward of those who diligently seek him. After three weeks on my skateboard, or not being on my skateboard, and I haven't really got back since, still trying to get that confidence back up, um, my wounds, I was able to, to kind of not have the bandages on them anymore, and um, yeah, I was able to get back to semi-normal life. Um, it, it did take a little while, but it did take a lot of patience as well. Um, And the waiting process, it helps us to depend on God rather than ourselves. I love what David says in Psalms 37, verse 5. He says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. (coughs) Waiting develops trust. It says, I don't understand why I can't have it, 
but I trust you. Waiting says, I don't know the when, but I know the who. I don't know the but I know the who. Are you struggling? Are you waiting for him to work? God wants to work a miracle in your lives. You may not know the when, but you know the who. And so the question becomes, do you trust him? God is faithful to his promises. Keep looking up, just like Abraham. The stars exist even though you can't see them. Rest on his promises. Walk by faith, not by sight. Commit it to him and he shall bring it to pass.